Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go ahead and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's, uh, oh, there we go. It's wonderful to be back uh, here in Canada. It's hard to believe it's, I've been back. It's only been six days. It feels like, it feels like a month since I got back because there's just been so much going on. Wendy's starting her new job and, uh, you know, when, Wendy graduating and Ariana leave, finishing middle school, Enya, you know, she had a birthday for her yesterday and, that work and things and, you know, connecting with people, just so much, eh? Oh, yeah, conference. <laughs> yeah, had, uh, had conference. I was the uh, impromptu photographer for, for the conference. I may have volunteered for the role. And, uh, and anyway, it's just been uh, an incredible time. Oh, yeah, and plus had this uh, random drive from an American soldier from Montreal to Ottawa at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning with uh, my wife and I fast asleep in the van. And uh, yeah, just so many crazy stories, but you know, the Lord has been really good. And you know, I do want to say thank you to, to uh, everyone um, who, uh, you know, who, who just kept Cornerstone going while I was away. It was amazing. Apparently, uh, you got to see my micromanaging self last Sunday at the beginning of the service. It was not intentional where I, I, I was like, I could hear everything going on in church outdoors. And I was like, I want to see what's going on. I'm like, I want to see what's going on. So, I, so I, I, I asked whether someone could ask maybe Caden if she could turn the camera. So I called Wendy just as the service was about to start. And, uh, but I wasn't micromanaging. I just wanted to see everyone's <laughs> face. But uh, anyway, how Stacy received it was, uh, I guess, that the service was like two minutes late, and she was like, seriously, it's two minutes late, he's calling from Wales, making sure that everything's running on time. That's not what happened, but uh, appearances were so. But yeah, it was, it was just wonderful being at home in Wales, being there to celebrate my brother's wedding to Mandy, and uh, you know, just seeing them as they walk in the footsteps of the Lord is incredible. Got to see lots of coastline, lots of people, uh, you know, um, just a, a very very precious time and we'll be going back again in August so uh, that that's uh, also quite exciting 
Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I thank you yeah, for Darren and for Kevin, uh, who preached while I was away. Um, Lord, I thank you for all that you are doing um, in this church, through this church, um, and Lord, also in the Central Canada District, uh, that you are moving, that there are churches being planted, there are missionaries being sent, there are incredible things happening, and uh, Lord, it's just wonderful that we're a part of this movement of the Wesleyan Church, um, um, spreading hope and holiness around the world. Um, Lord, you are good, and uh, we're excited to sink our teeth into your word, and we ask that you would nourish us through what we hear and read this morning. Amen. Amen. So we're uh, working through this series. Oh, don't want to show you Taylor Swift yet. That's for later. So we're, we're, um, we're uh, working through this series called Intervention, and, uh, um, and this is now the third uh, um, s- sermon in this series and uh, now I now I can move and uh, oh yeah we're in ordinary time which is uh, it doesn't mean that it's it's boring but it means that all of the special stuff kind of um, you know commemorating uh, Jesus' birth and his death and the coming of the Holy Spirit that kind of happens in the front end of the year uh, and now we're into ordinary time in, in the revised common lectionary this will take us up until Advent when we will get back into the Extraordinary time of the year, I guess that's maybe what you would call it. But this time is called the ordinary time. And uh, uh, now on to Taylor Swift. Um, she uh, she uh, released that's uh, an actual drawing of her. I didn't draw it, but in uh, 2012, Taylor Swift released an album called Red, and uh, one of the songs uh, from the album peaked at. Number 80 on the Billboard Hot 100. The song was called All Too Well. However, this song, All Too Well, was uh, re-released last year um, as a new, re-recorded, epic, 10-minute version. uh, And this time it went to number one, 10 years after it was originally released. First time, number 80. Second time, number one. And who was responsible for turning the song all too well from a minor success or a fan favorite at number 80 in the charts to number one? Well, it was a group known as the Swifties. And the Swifties, hands up if you're a Swiftie here. Any Swifties? I see three. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> And, uh, and, and who the Swifties are is Taylor's international street team of rabid fans, okay? And so this whole idea of a street team, a street team according to Wikipedia, is uh, a group of people who hit the streets promoting an event or a product. Uh, now, of course, Jesus is way beyond an event or a or a product, but I think that this idea of hitting the streets has pretty much been the strategy of Jesus throughout the ages, whether it's you know the actual streets of a town or a city or the digital streets of social media and the internet. And you know, the Bible, now we're moving from you know the Swifties onto Jesus' street team, but uh, the Bible gives the street uh, gives Jesus' street team a name, and this name is Angelos. Angelos. Everyone say Angelos. 
Okay, it's not a pizza place, it's not Angelo's, it's Angelos. Okay, and throughout history, uh, Jesus' strategy has been to intervene in ordinary people's lives so that he can in turn recruit them as angelos throughout the world. And so if you love Jesus and you've placed your trust in him, then you are part of Jesus' street team. You are part of his angelos. If you're not, then you can be sure that he is sending his angelos, his street team, after you so that you can be recruited. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and find out a little bit more about who these angelos are. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This is the moment in Luke's, Luke's account where Jesus stops meandering around. I'm not sure if you can ever say that Jesus meanders, but... If Jesus meandered, this is the moment where he stops meandering and he starts striding towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And as he's doing this, can you picture the look on Jesus' face as he resolutely sets out? Verse 52, and he sent messengers or angelos on a head who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven in order to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went on to another village. So we've seen in this this, uh, section of scripture that there is this word angelos. And here it's translated in English as messengers. So an angelo is someone who delivers a message. Um, and this word appears actually 170 times, over 170 times in the New Testament. And almost exclusively, it's used to refer to those heavenly beings that we call angels. However, John the Baptist is also referred to as an angelo over and over again. And then there's this moment in Luke chapter 9, verse 52, where we see this word angelos. Now, lots of people get confused about what happens when we die. One popular theory is that we become angels when we die. But uh, it's nonsense because humans are a different order of created beings. They are a completely different species than angels. It's not even in the same park. Uh, We do not become angels. Everyone say that. We do not become angels. Okay, important to know. But prior to us throwing that idea that we do not become angels out, uh, Luke is saying here that actually, in a way, we do become angels. Not when we die, but now. And not angels in the sense of the cherubim and the seraphim, but angels in the sense of messengers. And so when we make it our business to go ahead of Jesus uh, and to prepare the way for him through our day-to-day lives, we can actually think of ourselves as angels, maybe without the halos, but we're angels because we're messengers of the king. We're his angelos. We are Jesus's street team. And here in Luke chapter 9, we uh, find out that the street team, the angels, the uh, angelos that Jesus is starting to put together seems to be made up of people from Samaria. He's recruiting in Samaria, not Judea, but Samaria. And here we see 
that the Samaritans are not interested. They say, they reject him. They say, we don't want to join your street team, Jesus. Thank you very much. And the disciples take this rather personally. And as you do, you ask if you can call down fire from heaven and destroy the lot of them, right? Because that's what Elijah did in 2 Kings chapter 10 to a bunch of Samaritans who rebelled against God. So, you know, the disciples in their religious fervor say, Jesus, let's see it again. Wipe them out. But Jesus says no, because the way that Jesus deals with rejection isn't to call down fire from heaven, but it's, but it's instead to move on. That's what the whole idea of shaking the dust off your feet is about in the next chapter, in Luke chapter 10, verse 10. So Jesus deals with rejection by moving on, not by mowing down. And we're called to do the same. And so Jesus starts to build his street team, his angelos, from the Samaritans. And so far, it is not going very well. Let's circle back to uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 53. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So what exactly was the Samaritans' issue or their beef with Jesus and specifically with Jerusalem. Well, long story short, the Jews viewed the Samaritans as this kind of ethnically compromised group of people because they were the descendants of the foreigners that the Assyrians brought in to settle the area um, way, way back in the day. See, what happens is that the ruling Assyrians at that time, they had a strategy that if they mix all of their conquered peoples in amongst each other, um, in each other's lands, then there's less chance of each group rising up in revolt. So the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. But this was also a two-way street. You see, the Samaritans viewed themselves as the keepers of the faith, right? Not the Jews. So when Jesus asked them to become his street team as he's heading for Jerusalem, you can imagine that these Samaritans would be not too chuffed about this idea. Why would you want to go into enemy land? So for our purposes this morning, it's important to understand that at this critical moment in time, when Jesus starts to set out resolutely for Jerusalem, the people he starts to recruit are those who are naturally hostile to him. And I think this is really pertinent for us, because if we ever get round to sharing Jesus with anyone, and you know, if you're anything like me, that's a big if, right? You know, we're nervous and we're scared, and we don't want to, uh, you know, we don't want to put anyone in out, and you know, and we don't want things to get awkward. So, if we ever get around to sharing Jesus with anyone, then we tend to share Jesus with the people who already kind of have their foot in the door, right? Who, um, where there's maybe a uh, Uh, 50% or more chance that they might say yes or respond in a positive way. But Jesus goes straight for the problem people, for those who are most likely to reject him. And Jesus' example here tells us that it is not our responsibility to pick or choose who to share Jesus with, but share him we must. And many times it's with those who we think, man, they would never choose Jesus. Why would I even waste my breath sharing him with them because they aren't interested? Really? Are you sure of that? So Jesus is 
choosing his team of messengers. He's choosing his street team, his team of angelos from the hostile. But he's also choosing them from the least. Those ones who the Jews viewed as lesser, not worthy. So how do we know that the Samaritans fit the category of the least? Well, for that, we don't just look at the biblical text, but now we're actually going to look at the structure of the text. So just hold on. You see, there's this idea called book ending. When we see similar concepts in the Bible, we're invited to look in between similar concepts to see what the bookends are pointing at. So for our first bookend, let's back up to Luke 9.48. The context here is that Jesus has told the disciples that he will die, and then they start arguing about who is the greatest. They have no sense of timing at all. Uh, and then comes this famous verse in Luke chapter 9, verse 48, where Jesus says this, uh, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. So I want us to remember this phrase, little child. Okay, now let's move on a couple of verses. This is still part of the first bookend. Uh, Verse 49, Master said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. So I want you to remember those two ideas, little child and also demons. Not that little children are demons, uh, although... uh, you know, depending on the day. Um, But, you know, let's just hold on to these two ideas of little children and also demons. This is our first bookend. Now let's fast forward to uh, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, which says this. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And here we have this word, yeah, demons. So and remember, that was in the first of the bookends, right? Now, what would be interesting now is if the word little children is repeated. So let's keep reading verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Um, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And, And there we have it. So we have this first bookend of Jesus talking about the little children and the demons being cast out in his name, and then, the, and then the second bookend talks about the, um, how the demons are going to submit to Jesus' followers in his name, and how he reveals these things to little children. And this repetition, first of all, it's incredible, and secondly, it's intentional, because what these bookends are saying is that it is the quote-unquote little children, or the least, who have the spiritual authority over demons. Now, before you get excited and all the miners at Cornerstone start exorcising their fellow classmates at school, let's pause for a moment, okay? Because, you know, the bookends exist 
purely to give order, or not purely, but one of the reasons they exist is to give order and, and support to what is in between them. So what is in between Luke chapter 9, 48 and 50, and Luke chapter 10, 17 to 21? Well, surprise, surprise, it's our passage today. It's Jesus going to the Samaritans and telling them that he wants them to be part of his street team of his angelos. They are the little children. They are the least. And even if in the world's eyes, they don't look like much, they just look like little children that you wouldn't even notice. He wants them to be part of his demon butt-kicking team. And just like the Samaritans, Jesus invites us to be part of his street team. And just like the Samaritans, it's so easy to come up with all sorts of amazing or not so amazing reasons not to be part of his street team. And that's what the next few verses about. Um, reasons to say no to Jesus, reasons to get out of this responsibility. And so as you listen to these reasons, see if any of them resonate with you. Verse 36, then he and his disciples went to another village. Uh, as they walked along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Now, the first thing we notice about this guy is that he's eager, right? But Jesus knows this man's heart. And so what Jesus is doing here is kind of, he's encouraging him to read the small print, Right? He's saying, look, it's not going to be all demon butt-kicking and glory and amazing spiritual victories. It's also going to be uncomfortable. Following me uh, might mean sleeping in the hedgerows. Now, I wonder, when's the last time you fobbed someone off from following Jesus? Yeah, you know what? I appreciate your interest, but I don't think following Jesus is right for you. Maybe you should go elsewhere. I'm sorry, but that's what Jesus seems to be doing here. So the first reason that people might end up not following Jesus is because they've read the small print, right? It's, 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 it's nice following Jesus when he makes you feel loved and warm and welcomed, but it's not so nice following Jesus when he says to you, take up your cross and follow me, right? They, that's not so nice. This is the small print. And then the second reason is unreadiness. Maybe you just aren't ready. And in verse 59, uh, Jesus now is actively inviting the person rather than the person asking to, you know, to join him. And uh, Luke 9.59 says this. He said to another man, follow me. So you just have to have this image that Jesus, remember, he's wending his way. He's striding towards uh, yeah, Jerusalem. And he said to another man, he said, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Hold on, Jesus. So you won't let this guy bury his own father. What kind of monster are you, Jesus? Now, there's been some helpful explanations for this kind of strange um, exchange that sounds weird to our ears. Uh, some say that it might refer to the guy actually burying the bones of his dad in an ossuary uh, after a year 
uh, or maybe it's something else. But the point is, this guy is not ready. He's got other things to do. He says, I'll follow you when I'm ready. I'll follow you on my schedule uh, when it's convenient for me. So reading the small print is the first reason that people don't follow Jesus. The second reason is unreadiness. And the last is unsteadiness. And uh, as you can see, all of these excuses over to some extent. Verse 61 Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Again, this seems to be super mean. Jesus, why won't you just let them say farewell to their loved ones? Now, what I don't want to do, because this isn't a major point, I don't want to water down Jesus' words by explaining them away or making them less offensive without really taking the time to get into what is going on here, um, maybe on a cultural level, and we don't have the time. But, but the whole idea here is that if you're looking back at your, your family whilst trying to plow a straight furrow for the kingdom of God, then you will fail and all you'll be left with is a wonky furrow, which isn't really any help to anyone at all. So really, we could say that following Jesus means putting Jesus first, sometimes even over your family and their wishes and their desires and their expectations of you. So all that being said, my point here today is that Jesus is wanting to make a street team, a team of angelos, a team of messengers that will go ahead of him and prepare his way for the cross. And that he's specifically headhunting the people who are hostile to him and who are the least. These little children who will force demons to submit to them in Jesus' name. But, but, he, but they only get to be on his street team if they say yes to him. They have to accept his invitation. And what I hope is encouraging for us this morning is that Jesus loves making a team of the uncool and the dodgy and the misfits and the angry and the rebellious and the weak and the rubbish in the world's eyes. Because it's these people who, when they come back from mission trips, and they're absolutely overflowing with stories of what God has done, the world listens to them. You know, if you can get one of these former enemies of Jesus walking the streets of North Gore and saying, you'll never believe what I saw Jesus do last week, it's like a massive neon sign for the truth and the trustworthiness of the gospel, right? So this morning, maybe uh, you feel like a Samaritan. You've written yourself off, or you feel like others have maybe written you off. But if we are to take Luke 9 and Luke 10, anything like seriously, if you feel you're the least, then Jesus wants you on his street team. And if you feel hostile towards Jesus, Jesus wants you on his street team. And what we find from our passage is that, yes, there were some people who turned Jesus down. Maybe because they read the small print, or they weren't ready, or they were unsteady. But the Bible tells us that there were actually 72 people who said yes. Luke 10 verse 1. After this, 
the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 72 people, 72 messengers, 72 angelos, most likely Samaritans who said yes to Jesus, who went ahead of him as 36 teams to proclaim that Jesus is on his way. And these people who said yes, I believe that they embody 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. These people, these 72, these Samaritans were God's plan A with all their rebellion and their anger and their leastness. And these 72 came back with eyes wide open as little children who've just seen a fireworks display. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. 72 demon-pounding little children who had stories and told these stories and these stories spread you know, to other people who got caught up then in the possibility of maybe what Jesus could do in their lives. So where does this leave us this morning? Well, I could say that Jesus in his grace invites us all to follow him, whether we consider ourselves the least or even hostile to him. And of course, that's true. That's been my main point. But this morning, I wonder if there's another application to this amazing account. And I think there is. You see, these 72 who went out as Jesus' street team, this wasn't a forever gig. This appears to have been a temporary gig. They went out to do something specific. They did that thing. They saw God move, and then they came home. It was like a short-term mission trip or something. So that guy who read the small print... He would, or yeah, that guy who said no because he had to bury his dad, he actually would have gotten to bury his dad afterwards. And that other guy, uh, he would have gotten to see his family again because Luke 10:17 tells us that this assignment ended, uh, that the street team went their own way, they returned. So, so what does this mean for us? I want you to think of it like this. We can all say a general yes to Jesus. Lord, I give my life to you, my vague, nebulous, undefined life to you. We can all do that. And in a sense, that's easy because it's undefined. You know, so when you give your life to Jesus, that's one thing. But doing something like going on a short-term mission trip is another or choosing to host a grow group in your home is another. Or taking your friend out for a coffee with the view of telling them about how much Jesus means to you, that's another thing. You see, sometimes we can uh, make the idea of following Jesus so vague 
and lifelong that it ends up being meaningless because we're no longer talking about specifics. And then we look back after year after year, after a lifetime of quote-unquote following Jesus, and we realize we were never on Jesus' street team, not even once. Because the whole idea of a street team is to take a moment of your life and to say, Lord, this is your moment, this is your season. And I will tell your story, and, and I will do this thing purely for the glory of God, and then I'll come home. And so my invitation to you as we wrap up is this. Bring your inadequacies to God. Tell him that you're a little child. Bring your issues that you have with God actually to him. Tell him that you're hostile to him in one way or another. And as you do this, choose to lay your excuses aside. The small print that you don't want to read or your unsteadiness or your unreadiness. Instead, ask God, say, how can I be your messenger? How can I be on your street team? This summer, how can I be one of your angelos? And he might call you to a short-term mission trip, in which case, awesome, you should do it. Or he might be calling you to talk to someone that you've been making excuses not to talk to. Great. If he's doing that, then you You do that. You join his street team. Or he might be calling you to another time-specific, time-limited act of obedience where you step out in faith and then you come home again. Maybe it's handing over your summer to Jesus and saying, Lord, this summer is yours. My job is yours. My lack of job is yours. My vacation time is yours. My youth camp is yours. My kids camp is yours. My LIT experience is yours. My plans are yours. This maybe couple of months, this short time period, it's all yours because I want to be one of the 72. I want to be on your street team, after which you get to go home again. But you won't go home empty-handed because you will be carrying stories. You see those 72, those inadequate, hostile sorts who decided to take Jesus up on his offer anyway? They ended up with stories, right? The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, at that moment, when, when this was happening, this is what Jesus saw on the spiritual plane. He, saw, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And if you want to have stories this summer in these 10 weeks, if you want to get Jesus to that number one spot in your life, maybe he's been hovering around number 80. But if you want to get him up to number one, then join his street team. Become one of his angelos. Amen. Let me leave you with these words from Wendell Berry from his poem, Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. So friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who doesn't deserve it.